Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation in chapter number 2. The book of Revelation in chapter number 2. We want it to be an encouragement to you and have just a special message outside of our regular series just to be an encouragement to you as we're preparing for exciting days up ahead, more opportunities to see God glorified, more opportunities to see prayers answered, and more ways for God's name to be lifted up. But before, as we go into there, sometimes we have to be encouraged ourselves. And we have to see how God sees us and see what God has to say about this. In the book of Revelation in chapter number two, it begins a section that we call the letters to the seven churches, where the Lord Jesus Christ writes to seven individual separate specific churches and writes them a personal letter that they need themselves. And there is an overreaching theme in each of these letters. And if you don't mind, let's just start off with the first letter, the book of Revelation chapter 2. And notice with me starting at verse 1. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 1. Notice if you don't mind. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his hands, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they're apostles, and are not, and has found them liars, and has borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, and has not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that is going to be repeated in each one of these seven letters to the seven churches? And we find the first mention of it in the book of Revelation chapter 2 and verse number 2. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 2, we have the phrase here, I know thy works. I know thy works works. And with the Lord's help, we're going to hit this message, this overarching message that flows through each seven of these letters. I know thy works. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord and let's pray. 
Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you today, we're just asking that you would give us grace and that you would give us mercy. I'm asking that you would open up your Bible in a special way to be an encouragement to your saints tonight. To let them know that you see them and you know everything about them. And that that should give us encouragement when we're trying to serve you. I'm asking that you would open up your Bible in a special way and help us to continue to step forward knowing it is you that we're here to please. It is you whom we're supposed to serve. Fill me with your spirit now so that way you could use me as an instrument to get your work accomplished even tonight. Thank you for the victories that I've seen today. Thank you for the victories that we're anticipating this weekend. Thank you for you being a wonderful God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now starting in chapter 2 all the way through these seven letters, these are a prelude message right before giving the Apostle John a glimpse of the future. So in chapter 1, we have the, the prelude. Chapters 2 through 4, we have the seven um, letters, or 2 through 3. And then starting in chapter 4, we have the Apostle John who gets a glimpse of the future written in the rest of the book of Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus in this prelude message writes a personal letter to seven unique, specific local churches to let them know that he sees them and to try to correct some of the problems. You say, why is Jesus bothering? Because it's his church. He is the owner and responsible for all seven of them. And he has every right to do with what he owns. He has every right to direct traffic, to tell them what to do, what not to do. He is the boss. And so here is the personal letters that he gives them. And each one of these churches, he tells them, each and every one of them, I know thy works. Now that phrase is very interesting because it's both frightening and encouraging. It's encouraging because God sees where we're at. Sometimes we can get the poochy lip disease and say, nobody likes me, everyone hates me, think I'll eat some worms, woohoo. Or we can get to the place of Elijah syndrome where uh, I, I and I only have not, you know, have not failed, but there are 7,000 that have not bailed the, uh, bowed the knee to bail. It's encouraging because God sees where we're at. Even when we think no one else does, God sees us. It's also very frightening because he sees us. He knows if we're not working. He knows what our problems are. He sees every part of us and there's nothing hidden. That also means that he could direct traffic and correct. And that's what he does. When he says, I know thy works, he comes here and explains to each one of them what the good things are that's going on and the bad things are. If you don't mind, let's just quickly just touch that phrase in each verse and see the things that he sees in each one of these churches. In chapter 2 and verse 2, he's speaking to the church of Ephesus. And in the church of Ephesus, notice with me in chapter 2 and verse 2, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil and that thou hast tried them which say they're apostles and are not and found them liars. Notice here. He says, I know thy works. I know what you do. I've seen your works. But notice this. And thy labor. He says, I see your labor. I see you as you work. I see the effort that you put into it. I see the 
energy you put into it. I see the heart that you put into it. I see your labor. I see the work you do. And I see, I know thy patience. That patience. This idea of being able to wait on God. To be able to expect that God can do anything. I had a phone call the other day from someone who was going through some hard times. And I said, well, God's still good and God's still right. And they were going through all the issues that were going through. And I said, God's still good. And they're like, how can you say that? And they kind of smiled a little bit and said, you know, it's amazing that you can say that. Why can't you? Because God sees everything. We can trust him. He knows what he's doing. He can't fail. If anything fails, it's not him. He knows what he's doing. And so we could wait on him. We could trust in him. We can know that he knows what he's doing. The Bible speaks about that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. But also implied in that is so is his stops. The stops of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Sometimes we get so impatient. How come I can't go forward? I want this to happen. I want it to happen now. But when we could trust in God, we could trust in his timing. God knows what he's doing and he knows when he's doing it. There may be times that we are not ready to receive the blessing. He wants to give the blessing, but he has to do some work to make us ready. Or maybe we may feel like we're ready, but he's not ready because he's still working on that blessing. Working on the work, preparing the heart. Well, here as he's talking to the church of Ephesus, he says, I know thy works. I know thy labor. I know you've been working hard. I know your patience. That's encouragement he sees even when we're waiting on God and trusting in him. May we skim down to the next church, the church of Smyrna. In chapter 2 and verse number 9. Chapter 2 and verse number 9, he addresses to the church of Smyrna. Verse number 9, I know thy works. Notice this. And tribulation. The church of Smyrna had gone through a lot of persecution. At this time, persecution starting to ramp up. In order to go to church, it cost them something. In order to go to church and declare that they were a Christian, some of them lost their jobs. Some of them lost their homes. And some of them even lost their lives. Some of them were kicked out of their families. And so God says, I see your tribulations. I see the things that you go through just because you called yourself a Christian. Now, once again, we can get in the poochy lip disease. I've done all this for God and he doesn't even care. Oh, yes, he cares. I know he cares. He sees everything you go through. He sees what you do when you try to stand up for the Lord, when you try to do what's right, and he can see the consequences of it. I know thy works. I know thy tribulation. Notice this. And poverty. I know thy poverty. I know how much money you have. I know how much money you have in the bank. I know how much you get in. I know that when you give to the Lord and you line up to your in, what comes in and what goes out, it doesn't match. I know that. But notice this parenthetical phrase. He says, I know thy works and thy tribulation poverty, but thou art rich. What an encouragement. He says, you may think you're poor, you are so rich because you have something much more than money. 
You have me. You have my presence. You have my favor. You have my blessings. You have a home in heaven. And I have so much more prepared for you. You are more rich than what you think. You may be poor in the world standards, but you are a lot richer than any of them. I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them that say that they're Jews and are not of the synagogue of Satan. And that's a different message altogether. But he says, I know thy works. I know thy tribulation. And I know thy poverty. I know all of that. Let's jump down to the next church and see what he says. In chapter 2 and verse 13, we see the church of Pergamos. The church of Pergamos. In verse number 13, he says this. I know thy works and where thou dwellest. No, notice what he says after this. Even where Satan's seat is. He says, I know thy works and where thou dwellest. I know where you live. I see where you're at. And I see that you happen to be living in the seat of Satan. Now let's pause. Something about Satan. That Satan cannot be everywhere at once. So Satan has to set up um, a headquarters. Think of that. He has to have it. He is the prince of power of the air. He does rule this world right now. And he has a headquarters. And it just so happens that the headquarters happen to be in Pergamos. How would you like to be in the headquarters where Satan's at? How would you like to be right in dead center of spiritual warfare? God says, I see where you live at. I know the people that you deal with, that they hate God, their mindset, their idea that they're hard. Now think about this. Now we're in America, but can you imagine, is there anywhere harder than America? What about Saudi Arabia? Where if you declare that you're a Christian openly, you could be beheaded. Think that's kind of hard? How would you like to have a church in Saudi Arabia? What about in Rome? Where all the Catholics are at. And by the way, Roman Catholics in the city of Rome are a lot different than American pansy Catholics. You go and see a real Catholic who loves the Pope and the Pope can't do anything wrong. It is completely different. Can you imagine being in a place where it is anti-God? Now you say, well, we're anti-God. We are not. Not compared to some of these hard places. Now I'm trying to put it in context. Here, God, Jesus says, I know where you live and it happens to be at the back door where Satan's made his headquarters. Think that is a hard place to try to soul win? Try to tell people to invite them to church? Who are you inviting to church after all? God says, I see where you're at. I know the people that you have to deal with. Aren't you glad? Sometimes we feel, may get to the place where God doesn't know the people I work with. They all hate God and I'm all by myself. God sees that. He sees, you say, I witness and I witness. God sees who you're witnessing to. He knows their heart. He knows where you dwell. Let's go on. Notice with me in chapter 2 verse 19, we see the church of Thyatira. Chapter 2 verse 19, Thyatira. He says, I know thy works and charity. This word charity is a love, but it's not just love. It's a love that costs me something with no hope of return. I love these people and they don't do anything back. You ever feel like that? (laughs) 
I remember once a preacher's wife telling me, yeah, it seems like every time we buy a family, buy their kids a suit or a dress, we, they leave us pretty soon. That every time I invest in them, every time I try to do something for them, they all leave. And it's almost like, why invest in them? Why work with them? Well, this idea of charity is the idea that I give even if they'll never do anything back from me. God says, I see that. I see your charity. I see how you love people even if they'll never do anything back for you. I see that charity. He says, I know thy works and thy charity and service. I see you serving. I see you keep trying to do what's right and still try to serve God. Even when it seems no one else will. I see your service. He says, I know thy works. I know thy charity. I know thy service. I know thy faith. Thy faith. He says, I see that you are still trying to do what's right. Looking to God and said, I still believe that God can. And I'm still doing it anyways. Even when I don't see that it is working out, I'm still believing that you are. God says, I see that faith. Remember, Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6, without faith it is impossible to please God. God says, I see your faith and it pleases me. You may not see what your faith is producing, but I see it. I see your faith. What an encouragement that is to every believer who feels like I keep serving God. I keep doing what's right. I keep trusting in God's promises and nothing seems to be happening. God says, I see it. I see it. I know thy works and charity and service and faith and thy patience. Here's that patience again. I know that you are trusting and waiting on me and believing that the promises are going to come to pass. And I see that. And he says, and thy works. Now he said service and then works again. This here was a church that's trying to do something for the Lord. And they're moving forward. And they said, I may not see a lot of action. I may not see a lot of things happen. And I'm still trusting in God. And it just doesn't seem like things are going. But I'm not stopping. I'm going to keep going whether it works or not. I'm going to keep going whether it seems like more people are coming or not. I'm still going to keep doing what's right because it's right. And because it pleases God. Not because of results. This is a church here. That's doing things and not seeing the, the repercussions, the results of it. And God says, I see that. I see that you're still willing to serve even when it doesn't seem to work. Notice as we go on to the next church, chapter 3 and verse 1, the church of Sardis. The church of Sardis. Chapter 3 and verse 1. And unto the angel of the church of Sardis write, These things saith he that hath seven spirits of God and seven stars, I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest, and art dead. He says, I know thy works. I know that you have a name. <laughs> thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead. He says, I see what you're doing. It seems like no one else is going on. <clears throat> Nothing else is, is being an encouragement, but you're still going. I know your works. Chapter, uh, chapter 3 and verse 8, we could see the other church, Philadelphia. The church of Philadelphia, chapter two, uh, 3 and verse 8. I know thy works, 
Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. He says, I know thy works. I've set an open door. Now the church of Philadelphia had things had broken loose. They had revival. They're seeing people saved. They're sending missionaries. This is a church that's thriving. And God says, I see that. And because of your faith, I've opened a door. No one can shut it. Enjoy it while you can. Now, praise the Lord. God sees it when things are going well. He sees it when people are coming. When people are getting sent out. People are becoming missionaries. People are responding. People are getting called to preach. People are soul winning. Praise the Lord. God says, I see all of that. And I've opened the door. And I expect more things from it. Oh, what an encouragement. He says, I see that. He says, thou has a little strength. It carries the idea that we know that we have a little strength. But... They're seeing it. They're seeing, they're having a stronghold that they're seeing God worked and people are responding and, and they're using the strength wisely. Oh, praise the Lord for that opportunities. And then notice with me chapter 3 and verse 15, we see the church of Lady Osea. The church of Lady Osea, he says, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou were cold or hot. Let's pause here. God says to this church of Lady Osea, he says, I know thy works and I know that you're neither cold nor hot. He says, I wish I would rather you be cold or hot. Now, what is he talking about? Here he's saying, here's the two things that you could be. Hot Saved on fire for God or not saved at all? He says, I'd almost wish that you were either saved and on fire or you wasn't saved at all. You said, God said I'm not saved. Yeah, listen, it may be better for a mediocre Christian to be saved. It may be better for them. It is not better for God. When you have a Christian who's not on fire for God and it's a poor testimony for the Lord... It hurts God. It hurts his testimony. It hurts his name. It hurts his reputation. It hurts his church. It is more of a bother. It's more of a pain. It's better for them to be saved. Praise the Lord. They're going to heaven. But it doesn't do God any favors to have a Christian who's just lukewarm. Notice God is serious about it. Verse 16. Uh, verse 15. Let's get the context. I know thy works that thou neither cold nor hot. I would wit I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. God says, I see you and you make me sick. With your weak Christianity, won't even read your Bible, occasionally show up to church, no interest for souls, you don't pray. You don't behave like a Christian. You respond poorly. He says, you make me sick. I see you. And I see your weak Christianity. And it makes me sick. Now, this is quite a range of letters, isn't it? If I had a choice of which church to be in, I'd be in that Philadelphia church where God's opened the door and they're seeing all kinds of things. I'd love to stay away from that Lady Ocean church 
Well, God says, that church, you guys make me sick. You said, God speaks like that? Yes, he does. This is serious matter. By the way, we'll take this in detail in the summer of 2023, where we'll take each of these letters and go through them once a week and hit everything with it and squeeze it out. But that's something to think about. Do you know that there are types of Christians that makes God sick? This isn't what the preacher said. This is what Jesus wrote down to a church. But overall, he knows thy works. He knows everything about you. He knows your heart, your love, your poverty, where you live, how you deal with people, the open doors, the closed doors. He sees it all. He sees whether you're on fire for the Lord or whether you're lukewarm, whether you're not even saved at all. He knows your works. Now, all that was introduction. Let's go to the message. What are some things that we could learn from this? What do we learn as Jesus says, I know thy works. And he says, I've given this. And we see seven samples from each one of these letters to these churches. To churches that are real. They were historical churches. You could write a letter to them. They were real, local, visible churches where people attended. What can we learn from these letters that Jesus wrote to each one of those seven? What can we learn well, the first thing that we could learn is that he knows what we're doing. He knows what we are doing. Sometimes it may seem like what you do doesn't matter. You may think that our work or place is too petty and too small to be meaningful. But God sees what we do. He acknowledges it. And it is a big deal for him for us to be faithful even in, when we feel like we're small and we're still faithful, it means a lot to him. I know thy works. He sees what we're doing. That's encouraging. You know, sometimes people have the wrong definition of the success of a church. Some people define a successful the church as its size. But the true success of a church is not in its size, but in its likeness to the Lord Jesus Christ. As long as a church is like Jesus and becoming more and more like Jesus, he, that is a church that is successful. It doesn't matter its size. The size is up to the Lord. If we're being obedient, God builds the house. Unless the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. As for us, we are faithful. He's the one that builds his house. And if we're faithful, no matter what the circumstances, he sees it. And it matters to him. He knows what we're doing. What else do we learn? He can help guide our work. He can help guide our work. In all of these letters, we could see what Jesus, <laughs> Jesus replies, what he sees we're doing well. And he sees what's not going well. And then he can give us the correction we need for us to get do our best for him. Whether it was the church of Laodicea where he just outright says, Hey, you make me sick. Turn back to Revelation chapter 2. 
We go to the church of Ephesus. By the way, the church of Ephesus had a start like no other. In the church of Ephesus, its first pastor was Paul. Its second pastor was Timothy. Its third pastor was John the Apostle. Its fourth pastor pastor was Onesimus, the, the star of the book of Philemon. A member of that church was Mary, the mother of God. What a church. What a legacy. God says, I know thy church. Know thy works. But notice what he tells them in verse 4. He says in verse 2, I know thy works and what they've done and labored. And they haven't fainted, haven't quit. Verse number 4. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. Now that's pretty frightening when Jesus says, I have somewhat against thee. What does he have against this church, this great church? Because thou hast left thy first love. You no longer love me the way that you should have loved me. You know one of the very first things that we backslide on? Is our love and adoration to God. Do you know that you could still teach a Sunday school class and be backslidden? You could go knock on doors and be backslidden. You could read your Bible and still be backslidden. Where does it start? The book of Romans chapter 1 explains neither were they thankful. The very first place of us backsliding is not being thankful to God. Not being close. What is the very first thing that stops or that, that, that we start having in our backslidden? Our prayer life stops being as fervent, as heated. It becomes more cold, more formal, and then drops away. That's where our first relationship is. When we pray, we're talking to God. And you're not just talking to air. You're not talking to the ceiling. You're not hope talking to the wind. You're talking to a real God who's listening to you and he hears you. And that is our, res- when we're talking to him and we realize I'm talking to him, there's something to my prayer life. And he says, listen, I see what you do. You're still laboring. You haven't quit. You've still been working hard. But something's wrong. You've left your first love. You're no longer in love with me like you used to be. You're no longer as close to me as you used to be. I mean, you're still doing everything right. But it's a heart issue. You know, that's what God can do. Is that God can guide our work. He can direct our path because he sees what we're doing right. And he sees what we're doing wrong. And one of the things, because he sees it, he could direct our path. He could guide us. He could bring us revival. He could tell us what we need. He could correct it. We may not even know that something's wrong, but he could correct it. And all of a sudden we get it right. Because it's his church. He could do what he wants. But that's a blessing. Why is it a good thing? What, what benefits do we have that he knows our works? Well, he knows what we're doing. He could also help guide our work. There's a third thing here. We cannot do the work without him. We cannot do the work without him. The greatest thing about all of this is that it is not our work. It's his work. And only God can do his work. We're just instruments. God does his work through us. We cannot do God's work. Now, that's an encouragement all in itself because I don't have the responsibility. Meaning, I don't have to feel like the work is on my shoulders. I'm just supposed to be obedient and he does the work. 
That means as a soul winner, I don't feel like I have to go take someone's arm and twist it behind their back and say, listen here, get saved or else. I just give the message and let God do his work in their life. As a preacher, I don't have to feel bad when they all looking at me crazy and crossing their arms and say, bless me if they can or start saying how much they hate me. My job is just to deliver the message and let God do his own work. That takes the weight off of us. It's not our work. It's his work. We just make ourselves available as instruments. But that's something we learn here. It's not our work. We cannot do the work without him. We have to rely on him to do his own work. We have to depend upon him. We have to wait on him. We have to have his patience and, and expect him to do something. Now, as we are expecting God to do something here this year, and we are. Oh, I'm just chomping at the bit and we've already seen the beginnings of it. We're already starting to see some of the things and we've been patiently waiting and we've been putting things in order and we've been seeing the saints that have been here starting to mature and they're at the place where they could be the laborers and discipling and we're thankful for it. We're going to start seeing some of these things open up and that's going to be the encouragement. And when it's all said and done, when people ask five, ten years and say, how in the world did all of this happen? All we could do is shrug our shoulders and say, it wasn't us. It was the Lord. God did his own work. He gets the credit for it. All we did is set ourselves at his disposal and watched him do the work. So how does this apply to us now? Well, again, as I said, we're expecting God to do some great things starting this year. He's already been putting things in place. He's been putting things, and we may say, well, it's just been staying the same. No, he's been doing the work. He's been putting things in order. He's been setting the pieces upright. He's been preparing hearts that might not even be here yet, but he's preparing them. And we're going to see some great things. Let's trust in God and depend on him to do the work. We're just going to set ourselves at his disposal. We're going to be faithful. We're going to keep our hearts right with God. We're going to have revival and be seeking after him. And expect him to get the victory over and over and over. And even in a small place like this, God can do a work that lasts for eternity. Because he is doing it. He is doing the work. I want you, as we prepare for the Resurrection Sunday weekend, to be encouraged. To be anticipating. Don't let Satan kind of say, oh, well, it's just going to be horrible. Man, let's just expect that we're going to have this place filled like we haven't had it filled before. Let's anticipate the people we've been working on and praying for for the last couple weeks. That they're going to be here. And not only are they going to be here, but they're going to respond properly to God and God's going to do a work. Wouldn't it be wonderful for some people to get saved and they come and they, they accept Christ as their Savior and their life is changed forever? Wouldn't it be wonderful if some backsliding Christian who hasn't been in church in years comes and they say, you know what, I'm giving my life over. I've been running from the Lord too long. I'm going to get right. And the next thing you know, they're great servants. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Wouldn't it be wonderful that someone tomorrow or this weekend comes in. They don't know anything about the Lord. But they come in and in the next year they're one of our greatest soul winners. 
Can God do it? Absolutely. Because it's His work. And He's been seeing what we've been trying to do by faith. We're not saying we're perfect and we haven't said we've done everything right. But we're trying to do our best to honor Him according to His Word. Lining up what the Bible says. And we could be encouraged that He's seen it the whole time. And He's never lost track. And we're going to expect Him. Let's pray like the church of Philadelphia that he opens doors that no man can shut. Let's expect God to do a work. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.